0: Well, good morning on this Sunday after Christmas Day. Um, you know, in the Christian calendar, Christmas actually lasts for 12 days. You've heard the song, the 12 days of Christmas. So um, this is actually the second day of Christmas, and i um, glad that you're here. And so I'm actually going to preach a message that I was going to preach the second Sunday of Advent, but um, was uh, sick that day, and so I'm um, excited to share with you today. You know, when I was in sixth grade, I dreaded recess. Um, I was an awkward, skinny, kind of introverted kid, not very athletic, and every week at recess... All the boys would have to play team kickball, and I dreaded team kickball. The the two most athletic kids in the class would be named as the team team captains, and then they would have the dreaded draft, where each one would alternately pick one of the boys in the class, and inevitably, I was the last player picked, and if there um, wasn't an even number of teams, the captains would get into an argument about who was going to be stuck with me on their team. Um, It is a miracle. I survived sixth grade. Um, You know, being chosen for something makes us feel special. When someone chooses us, we feel noticed and appreciated, like there's someone who sees us Whether it's being asked out on a date or offered a job or accepted into a college that we've applied to or invited to a party, being chosen feels good. But being passed over when we could have been chosen makes us feel bad. Whether it's being rejected by a college that we applied for, or let go from a job, or divorced from a spouse, or snubbed by a friend, or picked last for kickball in sixth grade. These things can be painful. Well, the Bible teaches an often misunderstood idea that's called the doctrine of election. And one aspect of the Bible's teaching about the doctrine of election is that God chooses certain people and certain groups to play a special role in the unfolding of God's plan. And this idea is frequently misunderstood by people, and people think, well, well God must have chosen that person because they're so awesome. Or, God must have chosen that person for that role because God loves them more. The doctrine of election, when it's misunderstood in this way, can actually feed into people's pride and cause them to look down on other people. What exactly does it mean to be chosen by God? Well, as I said, this is the second of the 12 days of Christmas. For four weeks prior to Christmas in the Christian calendar, we anticipate the arrival of Jesus during the season of Advent. And then we linger in Christmas for two weeks, savoring in the reality that Christ entered into our world. And during this season of Advent and now in Christmas, We've been looking at some of the promises that God has made and kept about sending Jesus into the world. On the first Sunday of Advent, way back in November, we looked at the very first promise God made about sending Jesus into the world. We, we saw out of Genesis chapter 15, uh, chapter 3, verse 15. Um, actually, you have the, wrong, the, the slides from a previous week, so don't worry about the slides today. So you can take that slide down. Um, we, we saw how the disobedience of our very first parents unleashed the power of sin and death um, into our world and into the whole human race. Uh, we call Adam and Eve's failure in Genesis 3 the fall because our first parents fell from a place of innocence and righteousness When they rebelled against God and fell into death and despair. It was the worst moment in human history. The start of everything bad, unjust, and hurtful in our world. And yet in that horrible moment of darkness and judgment, God spoke a promise a promise that one day a descendant of this very woman would undo the mess our first parents created and Jesus is that descendant of that first woman genesis 3:15 is the very first promise about christmas Then a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Betsy talked about how Jesus fulfilled God's promise to send a king out of Genesis 39, and then about how God's promise to send a child born of a virgin out of Isaiah chapter 7. And so today, we're going to look at God's promise to send a blessing from Genesis chapter 12. And in this promised blessing... We encounter the Bible's very first example of the doctrine of election, of God choosing someone for a special role in the unfolding of God's plan. And so, um, let's look at Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. I think we have it. Yeah, we have it on the screen. Thank you. It says, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Up until this point in Genesis, the author tells the story of the entire human race, But starting here, Genesis zooms in with a close-up lens to focus on one family, Abram and his wife, Sarai. In chapter 17 of Genesis, God changes their names to Abraham and Sarah. And the rest of Genesis keeps this close-up lens on Abraham and his family. So who were Abraham and Sarah? Well, they were from the city of Ur, an ancient city located along the Tigris-Euphrates River in modern-day Iraq. Ethnically, they were Aramean. They were the ancestors of all the Semitic people groups, like the Hebrews, the Arabs, the Phoenicians, and the Canaanites all traced their lineage back to Abraham and Sarah. Here in Genesis 12, God reveals himself to Abraham and invites he and Sarah on a journey into the unknown. According to Jewish tradition, when God speaks to Abraham here, God is breaking ten generations of silence with the human race. God calls Abraham and Sarah to leave behind their security, their family, their country, their land, their inheritance. And to respond to this call, Abraham and Sarah must leave everything behind. This is the first example of election in the Bible. God chooses Abraham and Sarah to play a special role in the unfolding of God's plan for all of creation. God elects Abraham and his family to embark on a journey. A journey that will require enormous faith on their behalf. God promises to bless Abraham on this journey To bless someone is to bestow favor on that person. In our modern world, we think of being successful in life. But in the ancient world, people thought of life in terms of obtaining blessing. God's blessing refers to the benefits that come from being in a right relationship with God. And in the ancient world, there was nothing in life that was more important than obtaining God's blessing for your life. And for Abraham and Sarah to experience that blessing of God, he and his family must embark on a journey of faith into the unknown. God promises here to make Abraham into a great nation and this is a remarkable promise since when God made this promise, Abraham and Sarah were well beyond childbearing years and had no children. In fact, it would still be several years after this that Isaac, their son, would be born. And Abraham says that he will bless Abraham in order to bless the rest of the world. Those who bless Abraham will be blessed. Those who curse Abraham will be cut off from God's blessing. And then through Abraham and his descendants, God will bring his blessing to the whole rest of the world. God elects Abraham. This is what we call a covenant relationship. And and Bible teachers often refer to this passage as the Abrahamic covenant. God's covenant relationship with Abraham and his descendants. But to experience the promises of this covenant relationship, Abraham and his descendants must walk in faith. God restates this promise in chapter 15 of Genesis. And I won't read the whole chapter, just read a couple of verses from it. Verses 5 and 6 says, God took Abraham outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to Abraham, so shall your offspring, or the Hebrew word there is seed, so how your seed be. Abraham then believed the Lord, and God credited it to Abraham as righteousness. At this point, Abraham and Sarah still have no children, yet Abraham continues to walk by faith, and Genesis tells us here that Abraham's faith was considered righteousness in the sight of God. Abraham's relationship with God was based on God's grace and received by faith. God restates the promise again in chapter 17. And again, I won't read the whole chapter, but in verses 17 and and 18 or verses 4 through 8 excuse me of chapter 17 it says this God says I will make you very fruitful I will make nations of you and kings will come from you I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants or the Hebrew word there again is seed After you for generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants, or again the word is seed, and I will be their God. After Abraham tries to fulfill God's promises on his own by having a child with Sarah's servant Hagar, here God tells Abraham that he and Sarah will have their own son, Isaac. In this chapter, God gives Abraham the sacrament of circumcision as a sign and seal of God's promise. And sometime after this, Isaac is born. And then finally, God restates this same promise a fourth time in chapter 22, verses 17 and 18. God says, I will surely bless you and make your descendants, again, the word is seed there, as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore, your descendants or your seed will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your seed, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. After testing Abraham's faith in chapter 22, God reaffirms his original promise. God, Abraham is living a life of faith, faith in God's promises. The reversal of the curse of sin and death that plagues the entire human race and has infected all of creation now rests in the future of an obscure Aramean wanderer and his family. God has gone all in on Abraham. There is no plan B And the rest of the Old Testament story is how God keeps this promise moving forward. Even when Abraham's descendants sin, even when they stumble and lose their way, even when obstacles like war and famine and division threaten to destroy God's promise, the fate of the entire human race, the fate of all creation itself, now rests... In God's election and God's promise to one family. Now today, Abraham is considered the father of three different world religions. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam all view Abraham as their father. And each of these religions views Abraham a little differently. In Judaism, Jewish people believe that God's promise to Abraham in Genesis that we just read was completely fulfilled by the existence of the nation of Israel in our world. Judaism teaches that the Jewish people who descended from the people of Israel are God's elect, God's chosen people. Those who bless Israel will be blessed by God. Those who curse Israel will be cursed by God. And Judaism believes that Israel's presence in the world is God's blessing to the rest of the world. And that's where Judaism's understanding of God's promises to Abraham ends. But in the Christian faith, the New Testament goes further and claims that the final fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham are found in Jesus. In two Old, or New Testament verses, uh, Galatians chapter 3 verse 16, it says this, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, plural, meaning many people, but to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. Paul is saying that the word seed that we saw multiple times in Genesis doesn't ultimately refer to a nation Or a race, or a group of people, but it finds its final and complete fulfillment in one person the person of Jesus. Christians believe that the coming of Jesus into the world as a descendant of Abraham is the final fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham. God elected Abraham and Sarah and their descendants. To bring Jesus into the world. God's promise to Abraham in Genesis is a promise about Christmas. About the arrival of Jesus. But the New Testament takes us even further in Galatians chapter 3 verse 29. It says, and if you believe, or if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Just as in in Genesis, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham was saved by grace through his faith in God's promises. Now that Jesus has come, anyone can be saved by grace through faith. God's promises. This is true of people, whether they're a physical descendant of Abraham or they're not. When we trust in Jesus, Abraham's seed, we are brought into the family of Abraham and we become heirs of the promises of God to Abraham and he becomes our father as well. Now that Jesus has come, the fulfillment of God's promises to Abraham Abraham's true family is no longer defined merely by DNA or bloodlines or heritage, but defined by faith in the promises of God. So let's unpack this a little bit. What does this mean to us? God is promising here to replace the curse of the fall with God's blessing. To replace the curse with blessing. You know, if you study Genesis, chapters 4 through 11 read like a chronicle of everything that's wrong with our world. In Genesis 4, we read of um, the first murder, Cain murdering his brother Abel. We read the first example of polygamy, of a man taking um, more than one woman as a wife and the impact that has on women. In chapter 6 of Genesis, we read about how violence pollutes the land leading to the great flood. And in chapter 9, we read about Noah's drunkenness and outbursts of anger and cursing his son. And finally, in chapter 11 of Genesis, we read of the Tower of Babel when all the peoples of the earth gather in rebellion against God to try to make a name for themselves. Genesis 4 through 11 reveal that the curse of sin has infected the entire human race. And we see this curse of sin every day as well. We saw it this month with another school shooting. We see it in the exploitation of the vulnerable around the world, in hatred towards people, in how easily lies spread in our world, in the divisions that plague our our society. I read an article this last week that said one out of four Americans are estranged from their family. One out of four. The curse of sin permeates our lives and our world. And God's promise to Abraham is to use his seed, a descendant of Abraham, to reverse that curse and replace it with blessing. This is what Jesus came to do. His birth at Christmas, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his future second coming is God's work to reverse the curse. In fact, Galatians says that when Jesus died on the cross, he became cursed on our behalf so that we could receive blessing. I think of the third verse of that great Isaac Watts Christmas carol. We sang it this morning, Joy to the World. The third verse, no more let sin and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make His blessings flow, far as the curse is found. This all started with God's promise to Abraham. Abraham. Second, God promises to work through one family to offer His blessing to everyone. One family to offer His blessing to everyone. Throughout the Bible, we find this continual narrowing of focus. And it starts with Abraham in Genesis 12. Abraham has two sons, Ishmael with Hagar, and then um, his son Isaac, who he has with Sarah. And God elects Isaac instead of Ishmael. And then Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau, but God elects Jacob instead of Esau. And then Jacob has 12 sons, and God elects Jacob's third son, Judah, instead of the other 11, and on and on it goes. God's election of these individuals, of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, does not mean that God loved them more than he loved other people, and it certainly doesn't mean that these individuals were better than others, that they were more godly or more spiritual. Each one was imperfect and flawed, just as impacted by the curse of sin as those around them. See, God elected these people out of grace. Not because they were worthy or better. And He elected these people by grace for you and for me, for everyone. God elected Isaac for the sake of Ishmael and his descendants. God elected Jacob for the sake of Esau and his descendants. God elected Judah for the sake of his other brothers and sisters and so on and so forth. God's election of some people is always for the benefit of other people. God's election is to service, never to superiority. Then finally, God promises to welcome anyone into Abraham's family through faith in Jesus. Sometimes you'll see pictures of churches and they'll have a red door at the front of the church. In early American history, a red door signified a place of refuge for a stranger or someone in need, a place where someone could prime Protection and shelter. During the abolitionist movement, red doors identified places that runaway slaves could turn to to find refuge and protection during the Underground Railroad. Well, when Jesus came into the world at Christmas and he died a a sacrificial death and rose from the dead, Jesus became the red door of refuge for anyone to find refuge. In the family of Abraham. The Bible's story from beginning to end is a constant story of grace. All are welcome, people from all the families of the earth, because of God's election of one family for the sake of the rest of us. That means you're welcome and I'm welcome. Our friends, our neighbors, even people we don't like, even our enemies are welcome into the promises of God. In Genesis 12, we find a promise about Christmas, God's election and promise of Abraham and his family. God chooses one person for the sake of all people, one family for the sake of all families, one nation for the sake of all the nations, because this is how God's promises work. You see, Abraham found that that experiencing God's promise had to begin with a life of faith. Abraham was first and foremost a person of faith. He didn't experience the promises of God until he embarked on that life of faith. And we won't either until we embark on our own life of faith. But we also see that God's promises in our lives are always for a larger purpose than our own personal benefit. God fulfills his promises to you in order to bring his blessings to others. God pours out his favor on us so we can share that favor with others. God's promises were not for Abraham and his descendants to hoard for themselves. God's promises were not intended to puff up Abraham and his descendants with an air of superiority so they could prance around and say, I'm God's favorite. God's promises for them were also for us, for our benefit. And if you are ready for a journey of faith where God keeps all of his promises to you so that you can be a blessing to other people, then you are ready to live as a daughter or a son of Abraham, an heir of the promises of God to Abraham. Let's pray together. Father, on this Sunday after Christmas, we thank you that you are a God who keeps your promises each and every one of them. Lord, you are faithful. And may we be a church filled of sons and daughters of Abraham, people who embark on a life of faith, who you would choose to play a role in your plan for the sake of those around us. Protect us, God. From self sufficiency. Protect us, God, from arrogance or privilege that we might serve your purposes as heirs of the promises. For we pray these things in Christ's name.